you know, if you get raped, it's probably because of what you were wearing or the actions that you did, not because the man, you know, didn't have any self-control. It's because of you. And then you've been put into this box where you were told like you can't talk about sex. So if somebody, if a predator comes to you and like grooms you and then rapes you, you don't have anybody to talk to about it because then you're going to be outed as like a whore or as like mm-hmm. some kind of terrible yeah. person because you weren't allowed to talk about it, you know? Kind of like like you say like the women are also groomed, but I think the men are also groomed to believe that they can't control themselves. Refreshingly real, refreshingly honest, refreshingly human. A podcast about human connections, shared experiences, and finding that line of humanity with your host, Hannah Pillow. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Refreshingly Human, or welcome if you are here for the first time. I'm Hannah Pillow, and today I am joined by Amal, all the way from... Amal, where where are you joining us from? I am joining you today from Houston, Texas, in the United States. Yeah, things are a bit crazy there right now, right? (laughs) Unbelievable, unbelievable. But hopefully, in the next several months after vaccinations, we'll... We'll have our head on straight. <laughs> yeah, this season we've been getting into the topic of sex. We've had some amazing conversations. And I love that we are getting women who are openly communicating about sex. Um, it's just so amazing and so refreshing to have these conversations, um, you know, with women who are not shy to talk about sex. But Amal, before we jump into the whole sex conversation, I want to ask you a little icebreaker question. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm so ready. <laughs> so I want to know what is one thing about you that people assume they maybe they meet you and they assume something about you, but it turns out that that's not true. Oh my goodness. Um, the biggest assumption about me is that um, is about my race. <laughs> okay. Everybody assumes that I'm just white, right? Um, but I'm not. And it's, I always get the question, well, you look white, but no, I'm, I'm Middle Eastern, (laughs) (laughs) but everybody assumes that's, that's the number one thing that is, uh, everybody assumes that I'm white, but I'm, I'm not. (laughs) That's so interesting. And is, is your husband, um, Middle Eastern as well? He's not, he is actually Colombian. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. You know what I love about this question is every time I ask it to a guest, I don't give it to them beforehand. But whenever I ask it to any of my guests, they just instantly have something to say because assumptions are so common. So everyone has Mm -hmm. an answer for that just ready without even like prepping them about it because I kind of threw that at you now, didn't I? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but it's 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 been there. It's there. I was ready. <laughs> Amazing. So, I like to start this conversation by getting into um from your childhood. Uh what conversations did you have or not have about sex growing up? 
Oh, absolutely. Well, first, I really want to thank you for having me on on your podcast. I, I listen to your podcast and I I really learn a lot and I am really inspired by you. And I think that you're doing an amazing job. So first, thank you so much for having this platform to allow people and women in particular to even have these discussions. <laughs> oh, bless. That's so that's lovely to hear. And of course, I love having you. Your energy is amazing. <laughs> thank you. I'm medicated. <laughs> Well, so am I. No shame. <laughs> um, okay, so back to your question. Um, some conversations and or the lack thereof um, about sex growing up. There was more of a lack thereof in my per- in my family. Um, I grew up in a mixed household. So my mother um, is of Italian immigration, and my father is Palestinian. Um, so we came from a Christian and Muslim background, right? So. Um, these are two cultures and two religions that are very strict about sex. <laughs> um, you got it from both ends there, because I've spoken to people from a Christian background, and I'm from a Muslim background, and you got it from both sides growing up. Oh, girl. <laughs> you don't even know. It was crazy. Um, it was like... It was like on my mom's side, she she's very fundamentalist, um, American fundamentalist, very strict. Um, and the culture in Christianity is almost obsessed with virginity and purity. Um, and, you know, some things I remember being told as a child is that just obscurities um, to put fear about sex um, in, in like little girls' hearts. Like you'll never be married or you'll, you'll end up in an abusive relationship if you have, or if you have any relation outside of marriage, like even holding hands or kissing or any kind of attraction before marriage. Right. Um, So one thing that was like hounded is that if I were to open the door to sexual impurity that I would be putting myself in a position to be raped. And that's extreme. (laughs) That is an extreme thing. So that's kind of the level of oppression that is, especially on women, um, that if we act in a sexual way or if we have sexual thoughts or we are just normally developing women and teenagers, that if if something bad happens to us, it's our fault because we opened the door to that happening to us. No, I, I, I'm just getting so many flashbacks to my own childhood because I was told so many things so similar to that. But I wanted to know, like, so you said that was coming from your Christian background. Did you not get the same thing from your Muslim background? Or, or did you not see the, as much extremeness with it? Well, my dad... He's not a very religious Muslim. Um, he's not a devout Muslim. He he's more Muslim by culture. He's your he's your he's your typical. I just call him my typical brown dad. Like, oh, um, I love. That. I wasn't allowed to. Right, right. We all go. Through, I think all 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 brown people know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I so love that. That's yeah. I guess like I I didn't grow up with a dad, but. I could say that about some of my uncles, my typical brown uncles, and I love them. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. And it was like my dad, he we we never discussed sex or anything. And and oh, no. also, I didn't grow up with him. I didn't grow up with him very much because uh 
he he actually left the United States in in um, uh, like 1999, and then I didn't see or speak to him until nearly I think it was like 2014 or 2015. So there was a huge gap of definitely I I, I had him until I was like nine years old, but then throughout all the phases of you know me hitting puberty and going through all those changes, he was never around. So we've never discussed sex, but I was never allowed to like uh, go sleep over at a friend's house or um, go out with friends for a long period of time because, you know, that protective um, Mm -hmm. Middle Eastern fathers, like of your daughters, you're like, no way are you going out, but your sons can go. Your sons can be gone for a week. That's fine. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So can relate to all of that. I remember once, um, I had I had two best friends growing up and one of them I used to go and stay over at our house quite often uh, and she has um she has like three brothers or four brothers I can't even remember now uh, and at one point when I started like you know the booby fairy hit me and my mom was like oh you cannot go there you can't go sleep over anymore <laughs> and I was like I, I actually remember <laughs> I actually remember I started crying and I was like, no, mom, you have to let me go. And you know what? I used to wear my mom down so much. Like she actually did eventually let me still go to this friend's house. (laughs) But that was like, it was kind of like, that's the only friend you're allowed to sleep over at. You cannot go to anyone else's house. (laughs) I'm like, okay, fine. (laughs) You go, girl. You wear them down. Yeah, I was not. I was I was not an easy daughter. And like when I think about it, I actually want like think like I would love to write a book about how to raise a daughter like me. Because I was not an easy daughter for the culture I was raised in. Yes. So but I don't think I was a difficult person. I think I just didn't fit the culture. Mm-hmm. But anyway, let's get back right, to Right. And I think that that's that would be a book I would buy. <laughs> yeah, that would be a book I'd buy though. <laughs> I'll put it on my to-do list. <laughs> amazing um yeah let's get back to you so you didn't have any conversations about sex growing up and you were you were like kind of conditioned to believe that sex is um would you say that you were conditioned to believe that sex is something that's very pure or something that's very scary both okay both um and and in that manner is sex is only made for the 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 fabrics of marriage a hetero marriage and yes, it's only a hetero marriage. Um, that's what was stressed to me. And that you, when you are married, then it's this glorious, magical connection of souls that is going to bring <laughs> you closer to God. And, you know, because to become one, all that bullshit. Um, and to fear it. Yeah. And then to fear with all hell before marriage. So it was, it was definitely both. Right. Yeah. Messaging, so. I totally, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Like they drive the fear of um, sex. So, so something similar to what you said in my culture, um, we were kind of told that every time you kiss someone before marriage or you hold someone's hand before marriage, like, you know, from the opposite sex, you're taking away from the blessings of your marriage. And yeah, that's something we were told. 
I just want to interrupt you listening for a brief second just to remind you to check out my social media pages. I'm on Instagram as Refreshingly Human Podcast and Facebook as Refreshingly Human. You can also check me out on LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And if you are enjoying the episode, please don't forget to take a screenshot of yourself listening to the episode and share it on your own social media. Don't forget to tag me so I can see that love for Refreshingly Human. Now I'll let you get back to the episode. the the whole rape culture um i was actually told this the story which is going to make you kind of like what the fuck um but one of our teachers mm-hmm. in school we were talking about rape and she was talking about how um a rapist or a man um would see a woman in a short skirt and get aroused and even if someone in a full hijab comes after that she could get raped because the man's already aroused and I was like, what the fuck? So you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. And that's it in, in their in their heads. And and again, it's all coming back to blaming the woman for being a fucking woman, for having holes. <laughs> yep. Right. And that's I think that is the that's the danger of I mean, there's so many beautiful things about religion and there's nothing wrong with religion itself, but these these obsessions about purity and virginity are often in the form of making a woman uh, put in a box. You know, it's almost like grooming. Um, and that term is like, uh, I don't know how to explain that term, but it's it's basically like a, a, a predator, right? A sexual predator it grooms their victim. And so you're you're taught as a woman that yeah. if you get raped, it's probably because of what you were wearing or the actions that you did, not because the man, you know, didn't have any self-control. It's because of you. And then you've been put into this box where you were told, like, you can't talk about sex. So if somebody, if a predator comes to you and, like, grooms you and then rapes you, you don't have anybody to talk to about it because then you're going to be outed as like a whore or as like mm-hmm. some kind of terrible yeah. person because you weren't allowed to talk about exactly it, you know? it's such a yeah I mean I want I wanted to ask you like in your experience in that culture did you find that the man men kind of did over sexualize women in that culture like um I don't know I kind of I kind of found when I was growing up I found that a lot of the men because they had grown up with these ideas that they can't control themselves they really over-sexualized women and they could not be around a woman who was not covered up. They would, without thinking sexually about them. It was like a whole different world to what I live in right now. You know, like like in the UK, mm. you can go out in your shorts and your mini skirts. You can go to Tesco's and just be like, you know, and nobody gives a fuck. But if I had to do that in my culture, it would be like, they would be like, not be able to, stray their thoughts away from sex uh and even if you are covered they still you know they look at you a certain way they uh it's just it's just a weird kind of like like you say like the women are also groomed but i think the men are also groomed to believe that they can't control themselves yes yes that's absolutely a fact and i i definitely relate to you on that one when i when i go back to palestine um i i feel protected because i have brothers and I, and my dad and and everything like that but 
I, I don't wear hijab. And the only time I wear hijab is if I go to the mosque. And, but I still feel the men looking at me, right? Because it, it's, it, it, it's like, I'm, I'm this, I'm Arab, object. but I'm, 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 a, I'm an, I'm a woman, I'm an object, but I, I'm also leveled up because I grew up in the United States and like, I'm an American, you know, and, and I just feel like I want to cover up more because I don't want to be objectified more, you know, because of exactly circumstances outside of my control. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy. But let, let's fast forward a little bit. So this is what you were, this was this culture you grew up in. This was what you were not told about sex or what you were told about sex. So how did you actually learn about sex and how did you discover sexuality for yourself? <laughs> okay, so um, I, I was... Uh, a rebel child, just like you. Right? Yeah, rebel daughters. <laughs> I, I was a very, <laughs> you know, but I was very secretive. Um, my my mother didn't know uh, anything about my life, and I I ex like experimented a little bit in high school um, with my boyfriend, but we never like had penis vagina sex. Right? It was like everything else, but <laughs> yeah. but inner like actual intercourse. Um, but so I learned from him, like about the male anatomy, um, you had a great biological example to learn from. You didn't need the textbooks. <laughs> no, I know. And there was no textbooks because I went to Christian school and uh -huh. there is no, there's no conversation about sex. So I like so how you no substitute that. You're like, okay, my school doesn't give me a textbook. I'll go find a real life example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but at the same time that like so that was my first learning about arousal and all that stuff. Um but it it was like I was still kind of like I I look back now and I wasn't into him, right? I just was into the situation and I didn't know like I didn't know how to tell him no and I didn't I couldn't talk to anybody about it. So I was still doing things that I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable with. Um, but I didn't know how to not ha let that happen because of course of my environment, right. I couldn't tell anybody and we were both in church and, you know, he had all the power over me. Like if I said something, he could just say something else and they would believe him over me. So I, I, we ended up having a very, it wasn't a, a sexually abusive or anything like that, but it wasn't something I was comfortable with. Um, so then I decided, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was going to say, tell me a little bit more about what you mean by he had power over you. Well, I was, my value system was built around my purity. And when he and I started fooling around. I felt like I gave him my purity, right? And he now had the key to either marry me in the future or or slut shame me or um you know or 
convince me to do other things with him because he already had that purity lock, right? So he already took that. And so I felt like I felt like I didn't have a choice but to allow him to do whatever it took to have him marry me so that I I wasn't like I didn't lose my standing with God or you know just all these toxic theologies that are embedded into you as a child. So in that aspect I felt because he was the first person to touch my vagina that now I had to marry him and I had to do whatever it took so even, to get him to marry me. Because So even though you say you were rebelling, that guilt was still there. That guilt was still heavy inside of you. Yeah, because although I, I never, I, I have always had a rocky relationship with my mom, but I didn't feel that way about God for a long time. And the God that I was taught to serve and obey and, you know, follow the rules and all that. So I didn't feel that way about my religion, the religion I was brought up in yet. I didn't move past that. So I still had that guilt that God, I opened the door. I I opened the metaphorical door to sexual sin. And now I have to do whatever I can to make that right. Mm. Um, Even if that is giving a man or at that time, a teenage boy, all the power over me. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's rough. And uh, I, I can just imagine that there could have been so many conversations that could have been had that could have avoided that situation, you know. I think in those in those environments, you're you are taught that men are in control, right? And so it's not it's not in your nature to tell a man no. So even if you're extremely uncomfortable, you feel a sense of obligation to please men, you know, and I I just wish I could go back to that. (laughs) No, you know, you're just reminding me of something we were told um, growing up. Uh, We were told that if you say no to your husband for sex, the angels are cursing you throughout the night. (laughs) Okay, then my marriage is doomed. I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, but what is that if it's not marital rape, right? If you can't say no. Yes. That's just crazy. Exactly. If it's not a consensual relationship, is it a relationship, right? Yeah. Um, but then but then I went to another extreme um learning about sex. Um and that was when I when I was on my 21st birthday, I moved to Beijing, China. And um I was free. I was I decided when I was when I left the United States, I was I was non-religious. I didn't believe in anything. I was just going to find my own way and just leave everything that was indoctrinated at me, like at the airport in Washington, D.C. And, you know, Beijing is my new life. So then I went to because I was never taught. I was never taught balance. I was never taught anything like great about sex. I just went to the other extreme. Right. And I had multiple partners and I, you know, learned about like my own physical sex. But being brought up in the way that I was, I in my in my head, I was already so far from God and that I didn't deserve intimacy. I, you know, so I was like, okay, sex is just a physical act that I like. You know, there's nothing more to sex than than I'm just I'm I, I was such a person where I never had. I had one relationship and then 
only like one night stands or, or fuck buddies or whatever. And I never wanted to be emotionally connected to anybody after, after my first relationship that I had in China. But then I learned like, it was like one extreme to another, like, okay, now I know that sex is not a big deal. Um, but I don't care. I've never experienced intimacy before. So it was like that learning process. And I didn't really understand intimacy and sex until I met my husband. Um, which now everything's great. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, let's just fast forward to everything's great. Well, I'm glad everything's great now. That's amazing. Um, I just think like, I think this is an important question to ask here is going back, what conversations do you wish you could have had about sex and who do you wish you could have had these conversations with? So would you, do, would you wish that it was your parents or your teachers? Or who would you have liked to have these open conversations with? And what would they have said to you? Mm, I, I definitely wish that there was there would have been more conversations. Um, and I, I wish I would have had an adult figure who was like a a safe place for me, you know, because I didn't have that with my parents. And I never had that with an adult who I felt like I was safe Mm -hmm. around. Um, So I don't necessarily think it would have been important who it was, as long as I knew that I was in a safe place when talking about these things. And I just wish that I mean, of course, I wish it would have been a woman um, to talk to me about these things, because because I, I was taught, you know, that, you know, my value is based on my purity. And I just wish that I was told how to value myself for who I am, and how to say no in uncomfortable situations and how to have the audacity to, you know, tell a man no. And yeah, let's change that. I feel that not the yeah, let's change that word from audacity to power to have the the, the mm-hmm. power and the the capability to say no. Yeah, yeah. And had I had I been taught had I been taught about sex in a positive way, had I been taught about intimacy and sex, it would have saved me a lot of numbness mm. um, when I decided to let go and you know just have multiple partners because I didn't treat myself well you know? Okay. And I put myself in a lot of dodgy situations. Um, and I, you know, I just wish that it would have been a little bit different growing up and like, I would have had been empowered as a woman instead of just being, okay, I'm valueless now, you know? Mm, Oh yeah. That is, that's a tough one. Can you, can you tell us a little bit more about like the psychology in that time, like what, what were you thinking? What was, what were you feeling in that period where you've said that you became very numb? Mm, well, the, I would say like, I just was so done being obsessed about, uh, like my value being placed on my purity or whatever. And so I was just like, I'm just going to have fun with it. But I it didn't, I didn't make any like meaningful connections. And so I, my psychology was, it's not, it's not a good one, <laughs> but I just 
like the way I felt towards sex was like, all right, just one and done. Like I, I'm not into, you know, a conversation. I'm not into cuddling. I'm not into, um, you know, any type of intimacy because if I look, if I really think about what I was thinking, if I really am honest with myself, I didn't feel like I deserved intimacy or I didn't feel like I deserved to have, you know, a, like a sex life that was fulfilling for me um, because I've already had all that trauma, like religious trauma I was dealing with. I already felt like, well, I'm hell bound anyways. So what's, what's the point of finding, you know, intimacy in, in sex? It's just something I like to do for fun. Um, so I think the, the psychology of it is really, I didn't feel like I deserved um, mm. you know, some of the amazing aspects of sex. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, that, that is deep for you. I, I can, I cannot even imagine what that must've felt like for you. Um, I do know that they are people who like the type of sex you just described <laughs> for them personally, Yeah, you know, um, but yeah, I'm also one of those who's kind of into the whole intimacy of it. Um, but I do, I also think that's also because of how we were raised to believe that sex is so pure, right? Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess, I guess it's it's just complicated what people like uh, and what, what they prefer. But I can definitely tell that for you, from your experience, there's a lot of trauma behind it. Um, sure. Yeah. yeah. So I'm glad that you managed to work your way through that trauma. Um, have you? I would say, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I think it's a lifelong mm. um, process. I think I was indoctrinated for so long of my life that I true, it's truly going to be a lifelong process. And some days are great and some days are not. And uh, I, I was somebody who, you know, ha I had a sex drive, you know, it was just had to have squashed. <laughs> I, well, I have, I had, I have, I have, I have, I have, I have a sex drive and I've always been a sexual person, but I didn't know how to express that. And now I, I've come to a point, you know, with my partner where like I, I'm intimate with him and we are able to explore a lot of different things. And then, you know, I was, I was always taught like, you know, everything has to be hetero, but then like being in a relationship and a sexual relationship with a beautiful partner, you know, I kind of, I've began to understand that sexuality is more than something that's hetero. Right. And yeah. so it's made me, yeah. And it's, and it's made me be able to explore a side of myself that I, I, I knew was there, but I would never even go there. Right. So like understanding that, like I'm, pretty sexually fluid now. And I didn't know that I could ever achieve that, you know, or be that. And so it's really liberating. Um, but it's a process, you know, there's always these little things in your head that's psyching you out. Um, but definitely things are way, way like a whole new life in, in like the realm of sex than I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, I'm glad that you found your way and you found that comfort. And I think that it's really inspiring for a lot of people out there who could connect to your background and connect to your story mm. to see that you have been able to come through and work through and still 
progressively working through these things. Um, that's pretty amazing. But, you know, I cannot even put myself in that situation to kind of even think what was that like for you to have gone through mm. that whole journey with your sexual experience. Um, I've been pretty lucky in my life. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's such a, that's such a, it's so great, you know, because, you know, people, I, I feel a little insecure, like to talk about my past, uh, because I don't want people to think like, oh, she's, she's just like, she'll not, she's not normal, you know, um, who is, but it's, it's nice. Right. Exactly. Right. That's <laughs> a part of being human. None of us are normal, no but it, it's nice to see like people because usually people who have had lucky experiences or not so traumatic experiences as I have, they, they don't want to like talk about it, you know, with somebody who, I don't know what the stigma is there to be honest, but it's nice to have these conversations with diverse sexual backgrounds. You know? Oh, absolutely. I think it's so important because um, while all our experiences are so different, there's also so much of similarity as well um, in the core of these things is that I think that at the root of it, we were not having conversations to begin with. And that is kind of like the root of everything, um, you know, having to figure things out for yourself, that the unnecessary trauma that comes with not being able to talk about these things openly um, yeah, it's just, and, and I think it's like the self-worth that we attach to it as well. Um, like, I don't, I don't know about your experience, uh, Amal, but I, I used to attach a lot of my own self-worth to how sexually attractive I thought I was. And that was a big thing for me. That was a big thing I had to overcome, um, in my, and I think that's, that probably is not something that's restricted to a religious background. Uh, cause we, that is everywhere. Mm. You know, a woman's sexuality is just everywhere. It's in the media. <laughs> it's that's patriarchy, baby. Yeah. That's patriarchy. like, it doesn't matter if you're from a religious background or not. Women face patriarchal oppression. And that is exactly why it doesn't matter what your background is. You have faced something like that mm -hmm. in your life. Because you live in a patriarchal society. <laughs> exactly, right? It's, um, yeah, it's like if, 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 a, if a man says, um, is attracted to you, then you feel attracted for the whole, attractive for the whole day or for the week. And then if like you dressed up and you went out and nobody was attracted to you, you're like, oh my God, I am unattractive. And I don't know at what point in my life it stopped mattering to me. And I kind of like just realized that we attach our self-worth not just to these things, like not just to who finds us attractive or not, not just to our sexuality. But I think when you attach your self-worth to something external, you're always going to be let down. You know, um, mm -hmm. you know, there were times in my life where I attached my self-worth to my job. So on the days that I was doing really well at work, I was like, oh, my God, I'm kicking ass. I'm amazing. And then the days that were not going so well, I was like, oh, my God, I'm horrible. And that is yeah. just not something you can do because these external factors are going to change all the time. Mm -hmm. But that's going a bit way off topic here. <laughs> <laughs> but it still connects. It, connects. it still connects. And, and I think that, you know, one thing that, you know, is, is so hard to get past is, is attaching your value to external, external factors. Mm -hmm. And I think as, as, women in particular, we are taught to always change our temperature to the temperature of the room. 
right? And we're always, we're always taught that we are obligated to make everybody around us comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's like a fuck up in our head that now we attach our value to how the external is doing instead of how we're doing inside. Right. Mm -hmm. And instead of who we are and what we want to say. And that's something that is just, it's so, I don't know when it, I honestly, I, I have, I have something and it might be a little bit off topic, but I would like to say it because it, I think there's a lot of women who can relate because there's a lot of women and a lot of not just women, but people who own vaginas because, you know, gender is just a construct of society <laughs> and, oh, yeah. and, you know, yeah. And we have beautiful trans women. We have non-binary people who have vaginas and we have heterosis or bisexual women who have vaginas. And I, and I think that one thing is so important to understand um, is that, you know, being true to who we are, we're always going to have some backlash in society. You're always going to be that, you know, that aggressive woman or that bossy woman or that, um, you know, too political person because you're standing up for what you believe in. And you're always going to get backlash from your surroundings, from the exterior. So it's so important to build yourself up from within on who you are and be and just come to a place that you're like, you know what, I'm expecting to get a lot of shit and I'm okay with it because, you know, we need to progress as society. And the only way we progress as society is if we keep having the power and the audacity to be like, fuck it world, I'm who I am. Yeah, yeah. I don't adjust to the room. The room adjusts to me. <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Or like, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be, I like, I, I'm going to wear a sweater if I'm cold or I'm going to take off my jacket if I'm cold. I don't care what the re- temperature of the room is. I'm going to regulate myself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, have you managed to get to that point in your life where you, you no longer feel like you have to adapt to the people around you or you have to like, like fit in? or tone yourself down? Or do you find that that's something you still struggle with? Uh, It's something I still struggle with. Um, Definitely. (laughs) I think it's so funny because honestly, I've had a lot of these self discoveries within lockdown and quarantine, right? I know that I am not, and I refuse to be the person that I was before this lockdown happened. You know, I was, I'm always a peacekeeper. I, I don't like confrontation. Well, I didn't before. And, you know, I had a lot of things where I disrespected the hell out of myself and I let somebody else, you know, disrespect me and I would just kind, you know, kill them with kindness type of thing. And I, I am not that person anymore, but here's the, here's the flip side. I haven't been out in society very much, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly not like that with my husband because I've always been free and open and verbal and we always communicate, but I don't know how I am in a large gathering of people because I haven't been in that situation. I would like to say that I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of therapy. I've done a lot of digging and, and I'm still doing that. I'm still finding myself and I'm still trying to build my own empowerment up. I mean, I I just this month got empowered enough within myself 
to actually understand that I'm a bisexual woman, you know, and actually be okay with saying that out loud and changing my pronouns to, you know, and, and being okay with wanting she, her, they, them, like I want to be non-binary. And, and, and I, last year I knew that I was attracted to women, but I didn't, I did not ever, I'm, I'm in a relationship like a beautiful what marriage and and I never have had that self discovery until I had the partner that I have who allows like explores with me right and is just the best person and encourages me. Um, but I don't know how I am in society yet, and I'm looking forward to getting back into society and seeing how I am. I'd like to think that I will be how I feel, how confident I feel right now. But you know, yeah. I'm human. I don't know what I, I mean. I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to be an adjustment for sure. Um, What I will say is talk to me when you do start getting back out there, um, because I went through what you're going through now before lockdown. So I know like the anxiety that comes with it um, when you are actually around other people and you like trying to assert yourself with them. Um, mm-hmm. so I know that I know like the trends and, and well, from my own experience, I know what anxiety could come up in those situations. Um, so talk to me and we could, we could dialogue and, and, and work through it. If, if you do happen to have any anxieties once you're back out there. Oh, uh, I will. <laughs> and I will. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, we should, we should definitely do another episode on this cause there's so much to unpack there and it's, um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a wild journey and it's just something that I kind of changed in my life quite recently um in kind of like sp- not just speaking out my truth but also kind of expecting that from the people in my inner circle. So if I am with people who I trust, who are in my inner circle, I kind of expect of them to be honest with me as honest as I'm going to be with them. So we're not holding on to you know, the stories we tell ourselves in our head that other people are thinking, um, but we just kind of like just saying it out loud instead that, oh, yeah. I thought this, I um, I thought that this is what you thought, is it true? And just getting that out. And most of the time, our stories are just stories or misunderstood or misdirected. And it's just a fucking conversation that needs to be had. Right. And I think that that is so important. And I think that this is one thing that, I think age has really made me appreciate this. I'm just getting older because when I was growing up, when I was a teenager, when I was in my early 20s, we, it wasn't, conversations and vulnerability was not a thing. And it seems like, I want to give credit to the younger generation, like Gen Z, who are like, I'm going to be honest about everything, you know, fuck everything. And I love the the whole atmosphere around Gen Z who are like, I'm going to be myself. I'm going to stand up for what I believe in. And it's, I think, inspiring millennials and people like me to be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and just being more communi- communicative like having more conversations. Thank you. I'm tongue tied. Amazing. I'm fired up. So Amal, is there any last messages that you would like to relate about sex? 
uh, or woman's sexuality? Um, yeah, there, there are a few things. I, I want anybody who listens to this, if you have a vagina, um, to know that you are powerful in who you are, um, inside of your sexuality and outside of it. Your, your value isn't based on your sex. And that, you know, if, if you feel alone and you feel like you can't talk to anybody um, about your experiences or if you feel uncomfortable in, in a sexual encounter, like, there are people like you. And there are people who want to support you and who are here for you. And I know for me, like, I, I use my platform, which is not big, but I use my platform to show people they're not alone, right? And it is an empowering thing when you become sexually empowered and femininely, <laughs> excuse my <laughs> mispronunciation, but you're strong in your femininity, oh my God. Um, but you just have to have support. It's hard to become that alone. And so if, if you are somebody, a listener um, who, you know, just does feel alone, just, just reach out, reach out to Hannah, reach out to me, reach out to somebody um, because you need support. And, you know, vaginas are here to support vaginas. We're here and we're, we're there day or night, you know, Hell yeah. we'll, we'll be here for you. We'll be here for you. We'll create a support group for you. We'll do whatever it takes. Reach out. Where can we find you, Amal? Um, you can find me uh, on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Um, I'm I'm more active on Instagram. Um, my pan my handle is Amal PK um, seven five five, which is, it's um, not clever. I haven't thought of a clever one yet. Um, <laughs> But that's my same Twitter. I'll link it all in the show notes. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So that my Twitter uh, and TikTok and uh, Instagram are at that handle. Um, I talk a lot on Instagram about just lifestyle stuff, what I'm going through. Um, I'm newly medicated for depression, anxiety, and ADHD. So I'm definitely talking a lot about that. Um, I do talk about um, overcoming religious trauma. And um, then my Twitter is very political. So if you're not ready for that, don't follow me. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I love it. But isn't, isn't that what Twitter's for? I think Twitter is just like for pol being political, isn't it? Like I, I haven't even said to it on Twitter, but I'm just assuming that's what you do on Twitter. That's what I do on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, I, I, let, I let my representatives know exactly how I feel about them and what they need to be doing. But um, yeah, so find me. Uh, I'd be happy to connect. Um, I just, I'd love these conversations. They are definitely ongoing. Hannah, you're a fucking legend. Um, so thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, no worries. I still have a few rapid fire questions for you to end this on a on a fun vibe. And just so we can get to know the human Amal a little bit more. So mm -hmm. what is your favorite food? Thanks. Um, obviously, I'm biased. I'm Palestinian, and we have the best food on the planet. Um, so Palestinian food yeah. uh, is the best food. Um, Makluba, always um, hummus and all that. But then secondary, I lived in China for nearly a 
decade. So I love hot pot and all things Chinese food, of course, as long as it's hello. Um, yeah, so Palestinian food and Chinese food. <laughs> nice. I like that. What is one thing that you cannot live without? Ah, one thing I cannot live without. That's a difficult one. Um, I, I, not a person, but a thing, right? I hate to say it, but probably myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm pr you're probably not alone there. <laughs> yeah, probably my phone. <laughs> Would you prefer reading a book or watching the movie? Uh, I prefer reading the book and then watching the movie. Oh my god, me so too. I yeah, I have to do I'm, that. I'm so annoying. I have to do that. I have to read the book <laughs> and I have to watch the movie and I have to compare notes. Yes, I'm the worst, the worst type right here. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been so amazing, so refreshing. And thanks so much. And I will see everyone else on the next episode. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, don't forget to share it with a friend you think would enjoy the content as well. You can also leave me a review on iTunes or podchaser.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Refreshingly Human Podcast, Facebook as Refreshingly Human, and LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.